Everyone wakes up and wants to make an impact, think differently, lead in some way. I think this idea of asking provocative questions, whatever job you're in, is really the starting point for being a maverick. Coming up, Ariane interviews best-selling author Polly Labar, next on Change Nation from the first 30 days. wonder what makes Apple CEO Steve Jobs or ING Direct CEO Arkady Kuhlman so successful in business? According to Polly Labar, these CEOs are mavericks who are bucking the traditional business trends in favor of newer, more purpose-driven companies. She examined these business rebels in her book, Mavericks at Work, Why the Most Original Minds in Business Win, which she co-authored with Fast Company founding editor William Taylor. She's also a business and innovation correspondent for CNN, where she gives the audience stories of inspiring leaders, innovative organizations, and exciting new ideas from the world of business and beyond. Holly Labar is here today on Change Nation to share her tips and advice for how the business world is changing and how you can use these maverick principles, whether you're starting a new job or a business. Polly, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. So, Polly, where did this idea for Mavericks first come from? Well, you know, really, when Bill, Bill and I were both at Fast Company for about a decade, and we were he was the co-founder and I was part of the founding team, and when we left, it, it was that moment when business was really in the doldrums. You know, we just watched the white-collar perp walk uh, go by, and the, the economy wasn't feeling too vibrant, sort of a little deja vu to the moment right now. And when we looked out in the business landscape, what we saw more than anything was so much sameness, so much mimicry. I mean, in industry after industry, everybody sort of agrees to the rules of the game, chases the same opportunities, and then misses the same opportunities. And the companies and the leaders that we really found powerful uh, and exciting and compelling and really successful were the ones who played a fundamentally different game. And beyond that, Instead of just producing really high-performing companies or great products or great services, they stood for an important set of ideas, you know, ideas that could really change the sense of what was possible for customers, for employees, and for the wider world. And so we went from that point onto this sort of year-and-a-half-long adventure and went to scores and scores of companies around the world and organizations from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival to deep inside Procter & Gamble's research bench to inside Pixar Animation Studios and lots of lots of fun visits, lots of very deep uh, investigation. And then we came out with this book. Was there an original Maverick? Like, is Richard Branson the original Maverick? Is Steve Jobs the original Maverick? Well, you know, we didn't go back to BC, but uh, I'm sure there were, we could Mavericks in the Bible. Uh, we could we, we were thinking of sequel, you know, Mavericks in jail, Mavericks at work. Uh, no, I think there are what I would think of as sort of the Mount Rushmore of Mavericks, and we talk about some of them in the book. And in fact, we didn't go so deeply into Apple because Steve Jobs has been so dissected uh, by so many other business uh, writers. But we did look at Herb Kelleher of Southwest, who I consider actually one of the original Mavericks. I mean, here you have this 35-year-old company in the airline business, and I can't think of a worse business to be in, frankly, the airline business. And he figured out a way to operate very, very differently, not the vaunted business model of, model of you know, point-to-point, -point, quick turnaround, uh, no-frill service, but this idea of democratizing the skies, of giving regular folks the same freedom and flexibility flies the well-to-do, which is a really sort of soaring, heart-lifting kind of idea, which these mavericks often have in very banal 
businesses like banking or the airlines and every decision they've made at that airline from who they hire, how they hire, what operational decisions they're going to make are based on that fundamental idea of freedom and democratizing the skies. And it's kept them really vibrant, really successful. I mean, it's the, when Money Magazine did the, uh, the best stock of the last 30 years, it wasn't Microsoft or G, it was Southwest. So LA. when you meet either men and women, can you tell if they're mavericks based on five, 10 minutes of conversation? Do they look different? Do they sound different? Do they use certain words? That's a great question. And before I answer it, I, I want to give you the caveat that this study, this book, wasn't so much about identifying a maverick personality. In fact, I went down this little cul-de-sac to see, is there really a maverick gene and talk to some, uh, you know, brainiacs in the world of, of DNA and genetics. And there actually is a, a maverick gene, but it's related to ADHD and entrepreneurship. So that's that's another angle to to identify. But I do think that there are some really compelling and obvious characteristics when you walk into an organization, when you meet someone. And one of the first ones, it's, it's kind of simple, is how the person talks. You know, do they have a unique vocabulary that's really their own? I mean, I've spent more than a dozen years in the business world, and there's so many organizations you walk into, conference rooms you sit in, and you're basically, you know, dying from boredom because it's corporate speak all the way. It's, it really is the Dilbert, you know, gray on gray world. And when you encounter someone who's got a whole new kind of energy, a vocabulary that's, you know, homegrown and, and kind of edgy, you really get the sense that they're trying to do something different. I think if you're trying to do something different in the world, you describe it in new terms. And that description brings a lot of people along, your employees, your customers, et cetera. So companies like Cranium speak completely differently. ING Direct, a bank, different vocabulary. You, you sort of get it right off the bat. Does a maverick company always start with its leader? Like, does the leader, the founder, the CEO need to be the maverick or can a company hire a lot of mavericks? A lot of the companies we found were arguably, you know, founder driven mavericks. You know, there was a founding person, a founding idea. That's probably the easiest way to go to say, look, you know, in Cranium's case, we don't want to be another toy and game company. We want to create lighten and enlighten experiences to change the entertainment landscape. Now, that's easier to do, of course, when you're in a startup situation. But we were very careful to look inside big companies. You know, can you emerge from the rank and file of an IBM or a Procter & Gamble uh, and still be a maverick? And, and we did find that. And I find that to be the most exciting because we really wrote this book for everybody. I really believe that everybody has the maverick spirit inside of them. I mean, none of us wake up in the morning and say, oh, I think I'll just be sort of boring today, or I think I'll stand for business as usual. I mean, everyone wakes up and wants to make an impact, think differently, lead in some way. So a great example of a, a maverick inside the ranks of a huge company is this woman, Jane Harper, inside IBM. She really is, to me, the quintessential pot stirrer. She's a loyal lifer at IBM, 25-year career, had a bunch of jobs, she was actually one of the people, along with John Patrick, who bought up a bunch of space at Internet World many years ago and then went to Lou Gerstner, the, then the CEO of IBM, and said, Lou, we got to build IBM.com because we're showing up at, at Internet World. And she's the kind of person who sort of launched something and asked for forgiveness uh, later. And she did that a few times with her career. She launched uh, something in 1999 to ask, answer the question, why would really great people want to work at IBM? You know, in 1999, the height of the dot-com boom, when you could go start a venture-backed company, work for eBay. At that time, Google hadn't quite gotten started. Why would you come join the rank and file of IBM? 
really good question. And then she just launched an experiment around it. She created this sort of ultimate anti-internship program that has now become a major, major component of IBM's recruiting efforts. It's called Extreme Blue. It's got 14 labs around the country that run consecutive programs all around the world. So I think this idea of asking provocative questions, whatever job you're in is really the starting point for being a maverick. And, it, it, you know, this is what I think speaks to the whole first 30 days change question, which is, you know, how, how do you behave as an individual inside an organization, whether you're the founder, whether you're a leader or whether you're just in the rank and file? So for people listening who who want to be a maverick, and it sounds as if it's a cool thing for people to be mavericks. If someone isn't sure whether they are or they're not, what do the first 30 days of being a maverick or becoming a maverick look like? Well, you know, so so going back to this idea of asking provocative questions, I mean, whether it's the first 30 days of wanting to be a, a maverick or the first 30 days of joining a new organization, I think one of the first things you really can do is what all maverick companies do, which is be really clear about who you are and what you believe in. You know, person after person that I met researching this book and as I continue to to look for mavericks in the world, they really know who they are and what they stand for and articulate it in really colorful terms. And whether, you know, that's at the level of the organization, you know, a bank, ING Direct, we stand for bringing Americans back to savings or whether it's John Mackey, who's a CEO of Whole Foods, who, you know, literally can send you a 10 point piece of paper that says exactly what he stands for and how he'll behave in any circumstances. I find people who really define that, who they are, what they believe in, what they stand for, what they will never negotiate or compromise on, um, are really interesting people, uh, really productive people, and, and tend to be mavericks. So that would be, I think that would be the first step. I think it's a really healthy thing for anyone to do. So Polly, do you see yourself as a maverick? Have you always been a maverick? Well, you know, I think I think I'm 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 an aspiring maverick. Maybe I still have the training wheels on. Um, you know, the the other, I think the other characteristic of a maverick is, you know, on the one hand, being really, really clear about who you are, what you stand for, and what you're trying to do in the world, but also exhibiting tremendous humility and openness to all the signals and insights and support and help that you can get from the rest of the world. And that wonderful tension is something I really aspire to, because I, I do think having a stake in the ground, having a point of view is so critical, no matter what your endeavor is, but also kind of maintaining this childlike, playful openness and curiosity uh, is is the other piece of it. And that gets harder and harder the more advanced you get, not just in age, but in career and mastery in general. One of my favorite Mavericks, and I'm kind of eluding your question right now. One of my favorite Mavericks is a guy named Dan Wyden, who's the uh, founder of Wyden and Kennedy, and the guy who literally wrote Just Do It, you know, their Nike's advertising agent uh, agency and also Starbucks. And he said, you know, I think what my job essentially is, is to walk in stupid every day. And I just love that. I mean, think about instead of trying to walk in as a smarty pants to your job or whatever, whatever situation you're walking into, what if you walked in stupid to your next meeting or to the next day on the job? And what that means is, are you open to all the new information coming at you? Are you able to get over everything you already know uh, and think you know? So is it wrong to assume that men are better, women are better? I'm sure you did some research on whether women show up in a place that are more open to these type of qualities or or not. I wish we could have found more women to populate the book. I mean, there are quite a few 
in there, and this is this has always been the challenge. Uh, you know, I I think there are incredible women in the world of work, and that, I think the day of of that being a question is is long gone. I actually, if if I had to give you a bias, I think women might be better mavericks. And, you you know, people sometimes think of mavericks as these, like, forceful, swashbuckling characters. So you immediately think of a man. You think of, you know, Tom Cruise and (laughs) Top Gun or James Garner or any of those sort of characters. But really, I think what gives Mavericks their edge is their outsider status. And, you know, not that women are so far outside the mainstream now. I mean, let's look at the the current uh, election going on right now. But I think just having experience not being fully in the mainstream, not being 100 percent plugged in, maybe being a little bit of an outsider, having a different perspective gives you a little bit of an edge, I think. today. Is someone like Oprah a Maverick? I'd say she is. Absolutely. I, I mean, for a lot of reasons. One, you know, she really has a point of view about the world, an organizing principle that dictates everything that she does. And two, she's got an enormous generosity of spirit. And this was a principle that we kind of stumbled on that I think is one of the most powerful, which is that again and again, you see that generosity begets prosperity. And Mavericks seem to be unfailingly open and transparent about what they're trying to do, which is not a characteristic of leaders in the business world in general. They tend to be inclined to sort of give it away, whether it's intellectual property, whether it's wisdom, whether it's sharing and, and just making sure they're good, good citizens in, in all kinds of ways. So on that front, she's a, she's a real maverick. Did you look for mavericks outside of the United States? Are there mavericks in Asia and Europe and Australia, Africa? Like, is it something that's more about the human spirit or is it really sort of a, a type of business environment that brings some of those up? I think it's it's very much about the human spirit and, and very global and very universal. There is something about the word, of course, maverick, that that is linked to an American frontier spirit. But I think that American frontier spirit of entrepreneurship has spread across the globe. I mean, it's just such a connected, flat world, as it were, today that I think there are mavericks everywhere. And we've gotten actually tons of response from around the world to the book. And, and it's been published now in 14 different countries. And you know, we didn't populate the book as globally, again, as we'd like to. I mean, that's sort of maybe that's part de. But, uh, you know, we, you know we, we looked for mavericks in Europe and we, we found, found a few. And, and there's certainly more out there to be found. It's, it, you know, at some point you have to actually circumscribe your reporting and, and researching, which is the fun part, and buckle down and write the book. So. So let's switch gears for someone who is maybe starting a new job. First 30 days of starting a new job, they feel they're a maverick. They certainly have some of those qualities. Is it too soon to let those show? Can you get into trouble with being a maverick? How, how does that look? Well, you know, everyone sort of has this, this, the fear of organizational politics and wanting to fit in. And it's kind of like going to high school. And, and I say, you know, throw off those chains and... If you really do want to be a maverick, if you want to do something different, I think you need to walk in with all of your sharp edges exposed. And I don't mean in a sharp elbowed uh, way. I mean in what makes you different. And and as I said before, kind of state who you are and what you care about and what your priorities are. 
and a way to, to do that, I think, in your in the first 30 days of a job is to maybe meet with every single person on your team and folks that are both sort of above you in the hierarchy and below you, for, for lack of a better word, sort of a 360-degree survey of folks in your organization so that you really get a sense of, hey, this is who I am. Who are you? How could how could we sort of join agendas and make something happen? Being proactive, I think, is really a huge first step. And I think it's actually a really good idea to try and maintain your I think of it as sort of the shiny penny syndrome. You know, when someone new comes into an organization, they haven't messed up yet. No one's gotten bored of them. Your your quirks and your foibles haven't really gotten integrated into the organization. And I think the longer you can maintain your outsider status, your shiny penny moment, the more momentum you can get in the organization as opposed to immediately thinking, how do I fit in? What are the rules? Uh, You know, don't worry about that stuff. Are Mavericks within a new job, new company, are they seen to be ambitious? Are they seen to want to succeed more? They seem to be competitive or they seem to just sort of seamlessly fit in? This question of ambition, I think, is a really important one. So I've just said, you know, state who you are, kind of be out there, put yourself out there, be a little bit of an outsider, a little bit of an agitator. That doesn't mean you have to be obnoxious, competitive, and and really knock it along with people. I think this idea of humility and generosity go hand in hand with being a maverick. And in fact, if you're one without the other, there's really no point to the exercise. This this maverick that I told you about a little bit earlier, Jane Harper at IBM, uh, has this program Extreme Blue, and they actually have this manual they call Staying Extreme, which is their version of how, to, how can you operate as a maverick inside a big company like IBM. And one of the instructions, I just will never forget it, is this word Humbition. So it's a combination of ambition and humility. And and the basic idea is, of course, you have to be ambitious. You have to have an idea agenda and advocate for change and something bigger than yourself. And that's really important for getting things done. But you have to do it with humility. You have to understand that the only way you get something done is by connecting with other people. And and the, the only reason anyone ever has a success is through so much support and, and help and mystery and things that you can't really control. So you really do have to have some humility about your success and and the power that you have in the world. So I think this watchword, humbition, is a really great one as you think about making your way inside an organization. How can I be ambitious? How can I set an agenda? But also, how can I bring people along with me and understand that I'm not going to get anywhere without their help? From the perspective of people who have companies how do they best go find Mavericks? Where are they? Like, what's the best way to to hire a Maverick? Is there a test? Is there a place where they're all hanging out? (laughs) Down at the Maverick pub. Yes. (laughs) I love that. You know what? You just gave me a great idea. In my next life, I have to start the the Maverick watering hole. That that would be a lot of fun. The Maverick spa, the Maverick bar. We'll be there. We'll be there. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't think there there's one place to find them. I think the best way to attract Mavericks as an organization is to have a Maverick agenda yourself, which means do you stand for something important that's fundamentally about changing the world, about leading your industry to a new place? I mean, again and again, we see this in the world of customers and in the world of recruiting. 
People want to be connected with something meaningful, with a set of values that go beyond quality or features or price or performance. It's not, oh, hey, that's a cool technology. It's, wait a second, this company and what they're trying to do stands for something bigger, stands for something I can believe in. Because I think we live in a world with so much stuff, so many opportunities that that's the way people are increasingly making their choices. So the very first thing you have to do is articulate your maverick, unique, original point of view. And that's what attracts people more than anything. And then the second thing is you have to show that you're going to give people serious opportunity. You've got a lot of hospitality towards entrepreneurship and people who, you know, want to have a lot of elbow room and a lot of headroom in order to grow and lead. A lot of big organizations are pretty hostile to that kind of behavior. So I think it's more about who you are and how you attract those folks. And then we don't need to get into it here, but my favorite organizations are just maniacs. You know, they're relentlessly inventive and rigorous about how they recruit people and find them and filter them and get them in the organization. So if I'm starting a business, do I want everyone to be a maverick? Do I want some people to be maverick, some people to be another type of person, whatever that label is? Is is there a need for balance? I think it's it's balance within a person. I mean, again, this doesn't go back to sort of the the Myers Brig we need for IVJPs and six of the other the other kind of of folks. It's it's not that core of a science. I mean, I think you have to realize and certainly Bill and I realize, although we're such sort of gung-ho proponents of the whole Maverick point of view, is that not everybody wants to be a Maverick. I mean, there's certainly people who just want to, you know, report for work and do a good job and go home and shake it all off. And that is fine. And every organization probably has a complement of those and, and needs it. I think, in as with everything, contrast is important and having a lot of different kinds of people. So I don't think it's a question of having Mavericks and not having Mavericks. It's more of a question of what variety of people do you have? And do you figure out a way to constantly populate and repopulate your organization, your projects with different kinds of people? And that's, that's an individual instruction, too. I mean, back to this first 30 days of work. I mean, one... One suggestion that I've given working people for the last dozen years that it has such weird resonance, I, I, I don't know where it comes from, is make it a point to find the last person in the world you would ever want to have lunch with and invite that person to lunch inside your organization or inside your industry. And I've had people report back to me that it was the most interesting and revealing and best experience they had. You know, the person that they never would have hung out with Make it a point of hanging out with that person and, and see what you can can really learn as an individual. And, and you know, that, that's, that's a piece of advice that we all should take a lot more often. Did you find a correlation in stock prices with companies that were Mavericks? Did you look at sort of the markets and the Googles, the Apples, the Whole Foods of this world and, and sort of see really how people wanted to be investors in those companies and were rewarding those companies? We did look at it, but we didn't go out and search. We didn't do it from the point of view of saying, okay, what are the best performing stocks? And then let's slice and dice from there. Instead, we sought out Mavericks based on the principles of what a Maverick is. And, it, you know, everything from the stuff we've talked about, the ideas they stand for, the, the cultures they create, the operational excellence. And then after we pulled together our cadre of, of core Mavericks, half of which were public companies, half of which were private companies or, or startups or uh, foundations. We, we did a little Maverick index and we didn't make a big deal of it. We didn't put it in the book, but they outperformed 
every other index that you could find over over a period of time. So I'm I'm, I'm pretty. It's pretty safe to say I think that being a maverick really does correlate both to being a great place to work and very attractive that way and, and great products and great services, but also great performance in the marketplace. Any maverick companies that you can share that were born in the last year? Well, yeah, actually. Well, okay, fudging a little bit, maybe last year and a half. Sure, sure. <laughs> so a maverick company that that I've, I've really uh, had a lot of fun discovering and spending time with is a company out of Portland, Oregon called Now. That's N-A-U as opposed to N-O-W. And it's an outdoor clothing retailer that was formed by a bunch of ex-Nike uh, and Patagonia superstars who all got together about two and a half years ago, just sort of around coffee and said, you know, does the world need another outdoor clothing company? And the answer, of course, was a resounding no. But we do think the world needs something to identify with. And, and we want to start a company only if changes what it means to be a business that reinvents this industry, that rethinks retail. And with those very small ambitions, they, they started out to build a company that really has done just that. So now is a company that is built on this idea of the triple bottom line, that business doesn't just exist to reap profits, but also to create positive change in, in the world and in the natural environment that there's this emerging class of consumers who share their same passions and values around creativity, the outdoors, and sustainability and social justice. So based on that idea, they created really disruptive economics for retail in the outdoor clothing industry and also put everything they do through this social justice and sustainability filter. Now, dial forward a year and a half, and they've unleashed a really incredible collection of clothing, which has won rave reviews from Men's Vogue and Rock and Ice alike. So it's, you know, they somehow have helped solve this conundrum in design that if you're doing something that's environmentally correct, it doesn't have to be, you know, Birkenstocks and sackcloth. And if you're doing something that's high performance, it doesn't have to look like you're wearing a Hummer truck and, you know, it really actually looks good, performs well. And they've also created a new form of retail they call a web front, which I won't get into. Uh, but most importantly, they've practiced a form of aggressive altruism. So they give back 5% of their uh, revenues to some partners for change, they call them, that they've meticulously picked out. Now, the gold standard it is uh, Patagonia's 1%, and corporations on average give 0.047% of revenues back to charitable causes. So it's a pretty aggressive goal. What's really cool about it is they've designed it into the moment of transaction. So when you're in the store or when you're online at the moment of transaction, either on this self-serve kiosk in the store or online, up pops a menu and says, where do you want your 5% to go? And you get choices of four global and four local partners and you learn about them and they have a great storytelling around there. So into that moment of getting, they've designed a moment of giving, which creates a conversation with customer and company. And I think that's just really a neat and progressive way to think about commerce that's really in tune with where the world is going today. You know, whether they'll survive and people will buy the clothes remains to be seen. I'm a fan. Polly, any new books that are in the work? I mean, this is fascinating. I just, I can't wait to read the next one. <laughs> yes, this is this is the, the, the big question. It, it, it really is time to get started on the next one. I am uh, chicken scratching around the barnyard uh, on the next one. Um, that's really going to deal actually with these questions of value shift in the world today and how that, that really informs our definition of success uh, as individuals and leaders. And I'm, I'm having a lot of fun putting that together. So stay tuned, I guess. Stay tuned. <laughs> 
Polly, the way we end off all our interviews here at Change Uh-oh. Nation, <laughs> not a test. We ask three signature questions. So they're the same three questions we ask from, to all our guests, all our interviewers, inter- interviewees. This is like the Proust questionnaire, right? Yes. Uh, what is the belief that you personally go to during times of change? I would have to say it's sort of characterized by the two words, why not? And I think every time I've been faced with a major life change, whether it was a job change or a decision, big or small, it's really been, why not? Choose adventure, choose the big leap. And and I think really that's about warding off the inevitable fear that comes rushing in when Absolutely. you have a big decision. I'm not saying I always follow it, but that's what I go to when I really, you know, instead of the pro and con column, that that's what I, I look to. Here's the second one. Fill in this sentence. The best thing about change is... I just think the renewal and the freshness that you get out of it. And I think embracing it because it's inevitable is, is a good strategy in general Absolutely. in life. And, and for me, change is a word that conjures up excitement and adventure. So freshness is the word that comes to mind. What is the best change you've ever made? I, I like to think the best change I've ever made is yet to come. <laughs> well answered. Well answered. But if there was one that you've made in the past, sure. what, what shows up? Again, it goes back to this why not. It's uh, one that I think of is taking a complete flyer and moving from a cushy magazine job in New York to help start Fast Company magazine, which to me was sort of the ultimate maverick business. It was so based on a set of beliefs and excitement and energy and passion. And that was an ex- that was great. Other great decisions have been taking a sabbatical in the Himalayas when it was such a question of how can I leave for three months? And then I left for four months and I should have stayed longer. You know, those kinds of things. Absolutely. It's always possible. Thank you, Polly. Thanks for being on the show. Been a real pleasure. For more information on Polly, her work, her books, visit www.mavericksatwork.com and make sure to pick up a copy of her book as well, Mavericks at Work. Polly, thank you. Thank you so much. For more information, more experts, more interviews, please come visit us at first30days.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Change Nation from the First 30 Days. Please visit us on iTunes in the Society and Culture podcast section under Philosophy. Remember to take time to leave us feedback about the show. We'd love to know what you think. Change Nation is a production of the First 30 Days LLC, copyright 2008, all rights reserved.